Would you turn to the book of Colossians with me? The book of Colossians. And uh, we are still in chapter 1, even after all these weeks. But we're getting to the core of what the letter to the Colossians is all about. And, uh, and, and in Colossians chapter 1 is one of the most beautiful visions of Jesus Christ that you will that you will encounter in the scriptures. Let me pick it up a little bit. I'm going to go earlier than is going to be on the screen for just a second. I'm going to go back to last week uh, to the tail end when we saw that beautiful two-verse presentation of the gospel. The Apostle Paul asked us or encouraged us, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light in light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And there's one of the rare periods in one of of Paul's letters. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or supreme. Right? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. Wow, what a vision of who Jesus is. But as always, when God reveals himself, it's for the purpose that we would understand our relationship to him. And so Paul continues, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So, in other words, he's saying, you who are contrary to God before have now been reconciled through Christ's body of flesh and his death. And that was for a purpose. In order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The very word of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, all of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. 
Well, let me just ask a question. Um, as I look at these incredibly lofty uh, descriptions of Christ, as, as I look at these incredibly realistic depictions of myself right here, it's like he's been reading my mail. It's like he's reading my mind. Uh, um, as I look at these things, uh, it, it causes me to ponder, how do I know Jesus? And I want to ask you the question, how do you know Jesus, right? You see, I'm I'm known in many different ways. I'm I'm known as as a husband. I'm known as a as a dad. I love those things, right? But I'm also known as a papa, right? I'm known as a pastor. I'm known as a chaplain. I'm I'm some people call me shrink. Yeah, yeah. No offense, psychologists in the room. Um, wow. I'm also known as the donut man. On Thursday mornings, I'm the donut man, right? I pick up donuts and distribute them to several places around the city. I'm known by many things. And oftentimes, it's ways that I've chosen to reveal myself to others. And sometimes, the way other people have, have discovered a relationship with me, you probably have a pat way that you know me. But I want to ask you, how do you know Jesus? Because I've, I've known Jesus in so many ways. I've spent so much of my life getting to know him. And, and every day when I come to his word, it's almost like there's a new aspect. I love the imagery of a diamond, right? A new facet of the diamond that I never saw before or I saw and never understood. In this brief passage, the Apostle Paul reveals some of the majesty, some of the beauty, some of the ways that we know Jesus. As I looked at, at the myriad ways listed here in, in this brief passage, I, I noticed that they tended to kind of fall along two lines. So in, in an attempt to, to bring the cookies to a lower shelf, to, to, I don't want to simplify what the Apostle Paul is saying, but at least to be able to put a handle on them for us today, I want to think about Christ in a couple of ways that he has revealed himself. First of all, that Christ as Savior Christ as Savior. Now, you're going to notice in, in this depiction of Jesus Christ that it's, it's going to say, well, are you talking about God the Father? Are you talking about Jesus Christ? We're going to see a merging of identity here, right? So I want to start, when we think about Christ as Savior, I want to think about the fact that God the Father has delivered us. And you say, well, that's God the Father, isn't it? Not, not Jesus Christ. But, but, but hold with me for just a couple minutes. God the Father has delivered us, the Apostle Paul says, from the domain, from the power, from the influence of darkness, of darkness, right? I want to put that a slightly different way. God the Father has delivered us from the tyranny of the world, of our own, the Bible uses the word flesh, but it really means spirit, our own sinful nature. And, and from the domain of the evil one, right? Oh my goodness, we could spend the morning on just those things. But, but the domain of darkness includes all those different ways, all those different things that are contrary or opposed to the kingdom of God in us. God the Father has delivered us from them. 
We're going to see how he did that in just a moment. God the Father has transferred us, right? It's an unusual word in, in the Apostle Paul's writing. He's taken us from one thing to another, transferred us from one place to another, from the kingdom or domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And this is a done deal. He has transferred us, right? You see, the Apostle Paul continues, in God, the Son, we have redemption. We have redemption. Now, when I think about redemption, I'm, I'm kind of saying, did somebody get paid off? You know, did someone get bought off? I'm, I'm tempted to think that somehow Satan was paid off for, for us, right? Um, but, but that would be a misunderstanding of, of redemption, I think, here, right? It's not paid Satan a ransom, but, but Jesus met the demands of God's righteousness that we have fallen short from, right? God has declared what right relationships with Him, with one another, looks like. And I haven't, I haven't messed it up since, since about right when the service started, right? Um, so so um, God in His mercy through Jesus Christ met the demands of His righteousness. And, and where does Satan get involved in this? He took away the basis or the grounds for Satan's accusation, right? The, the, the word Satan means adversary. Another name that he's known by is devil, which means, guess what? Accuser, right? The accuser of the, the saints of light. The grounds for his accusations have been taken away, right? Wow. I'm going to date myself seriously here, but when I was very young, I remember something called green stamps. Okay, I'm not the only old, yeah. Some of you younger people might remember blue chip stamps, right? What were they? They were this little benefit that you got. I'm sorry, I I looked right at you and thought, I remember going to gas stations and getting glasses, getting drinking glasses. So so the little benefit you got, am I really dating myself now? I remember getting um, stone axes. No, I don't go back that far. Um, uh, well, if you, if you went to a, a, a gas station or if you went to a store and you paid regular price for that, you got these stamps. And they were sticky in the whole nine yards. And you could lick them because they weren't those pre-licked ones. And you could put them in a book, right? And you could, you could save them up. And then when you had enough of them, what did you do? You redeemed them, right? You took them to some place or sent them in it, and, and you got a toaster, right? You got, you got some benefit from that kind of thing. Well, as we've talked about before, I, there was another kind of um, stamp that I was collecting when I was young. And it wasn't a green stamp, it wasn't a blue chip stamp. It was a brown stamp, I'm going to call it, right? And, and what happens every time... Somebody did something against me. Right? And, and then every time I did something, oh my goodness, every time I didn't do something, and all of a sudden I got this. And, and Satan goes, yeah, Dave, remember the other book? Remember the brown stamp book? Right? 
um, I'm calling it in. Christ said, no. No, he's mine. Christ redeemed all my brokenness, all my pain, all the things I've done, all the things I've not done, all the things that have been done. To me, he redeemed those things, right? And gave me something beautiful instead, right? So, so the precious gift of God the Father in the Son is not only um, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, not only that he's transferred us, but he's given us redemption, right? He met the demands of his own righteousness. He took away the grounds for Satan's accusation. What does that look like? You've seen it already this morning in our worship service. In God the Son, we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness. And that's, that's, that's the removal of our sin. God remembers it no more. He takes it as far as the east is from the west. He cancels every debt. Our sins pass present and future. We don't have time this morning, but in, in Isaiah it talks about our sins have been doubled. We go, well, that's no benefit. What kind of redemption is that? And, and it's a misunderstanding of what happened. When a debt was canceled, they would take the proclamation of that debt, and boy, mine's like a mile long, and, and they would fold it over and they would nail it and they would say, forgiven, right? Forgiven. Your sins have been doubled over. Nailed not to a door like Wittenberg, not, not to a wall, but to a cross, right? And when Christ broke the power of, the, of sin and disease and death, your sins are forgiven. Oh my gosh, what a glorious portrayal. Christ, you know, so many times we, we hear somebody come up to us and say, are you saved, Right? And it sounds simple. It sounds simplistic even, but it's not simple or simplistic at all. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Christ is our Savior, right? We've been delivered and transferred and redeemed and forgiven. But there's another aspect of Jesus. And I'm sorry to oversimplify for our brief time today. I so encourage you to go deeper into this word, including in the studies that happen right after this hour. There's another aspect of Jesus that kind of helps with the mystery of how this all happened. And, and maybe even why this all happened, right? And, and, and Paul expresses it radically and beautifully. Christ is not only Savior, he's also Creator. Do you remember? <laughs> you see those things online. I was, I was 65 years old when I first heard, right? When I first saw... It does not matter how old you are, but you would not understand Jesus if you did not understand that he also is creator. To, to, to help us understand this, you've got to go back a little bit. And Paul says, he is the exact representation of the invisible God, right? He is the image, the exact representation of the invisible God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, he tells us later in 19. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You've got to understand that this is no ordinary person, right? I challenge you, many of you have been working in this passage during the last few days, and I challenge you, think deeply about what being firstborn means, right? Uh, 
what does it mean that he's firstborn over creation or in creation? It means that he's preeminent. Do you know that word? Ahead of time, supreme, glorious, right? He is preeminent over creation. He is the beginning, right? He is, now here's that expression, the firstborn. Now, now, when I'm doing this study, in my soap study, I look at that and say, wait, how can he be creator and the firstborn of creation? Don't think about it in terms of, of a created one. Think about it in terms of the preeminence of the firstborn, right? Remember our studies in the Old Testament? The firstborn got a double portion, right? So that they would take care of the rest of the family. The firstborn was preeminent. My sister, my eldest sister, loves this concept, right? Um, she spent most of her life wishing that she was an, older, an only child, um, but, but having surrendered the fact that she's not the only child, she loves the fact that she's preeminent, and to this day, she still exerts that preeminence, right? But she has nothing on my Christ. She has nothing on my Jesus, right? Jesus is preeminent over all creation. I'm going to go real fast here. He existed before creation. Only one existed before creation. Amen? God. God. All things, Paul says, were created by Him. And there's a bunch of Beautiful words right here. All things were created through Him. All things were created for Him. And were that not enough in Him, all things hold together. Have you ever done those, those uh, thought processes about what would happen if the earth stopped spinning? Right? What would happen? That's, what, that's the astounding thing about the miracle in the Old Testament of time, standing still. What would happen? Things would just go flying off, right? Um, because it is the spinning, it's the gravitational pull and, and, and the, the vectoring uh, acceleration that's caused by the spinning of the earth that holds us in place. But Paul says that's Jesus. Jesus is the one. And unless we be mistaken... At any point, at any point, if he stops holding this together. Well, the disaster films have made a lot of money, right, on depicting what happens at that moment. Um, Christ not only created, but he holds that creation together. I said, what does that mean for me? It means he holds you together, right? Not just physically although that is a miracle in itself, but emotionally and spiritually as well. Right? Wow, what an image of Jesus that the Apostle Paul is trying to portray for us. So he, he's preeminent over creation. I'm going to go ahead and say these things and come back and put the pieces together for you. He's also preeminent over the fall. The fall is a nice Christian way of saying the consequences of sin. Beginning all the way back in Genesis 3, Christ is preeminent over the fall and its consequence, death. 
He is the firstborn, Paul says, from the dead. Why? So that in everything, not just life, but even in death, in resurrection, Christ might be supreme. He might be preeminent. For us, He might be enough. He might be enough. Remember, Christ plus nothing equals everything, right? He's not only preeminent over the fall, he's also preeminent over redemption. Paul writes in verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. If you haven't seen it yet, um, you're seeing now the theological underpinnings of the gospel which we celebrate every Sunday morning. It's not just redemption. The gospel includes creation. The gospel includes the fall, right? The reason a lot of people don't understand redemption is because they don't understand how far they've fallen. But praise God, the gospel also includes the more familiar element of redemption. And were Paul to go on, he does go on in Ephesians, he wouldn't. He would include restoration as well. So there's there's the theological underpinnings of the gospel story expressed in myriad ways, in myriad lives, every every time differently, but but powerfully through his Holy Spirit, the, the underpinnings of that gospel are creation that God created. Jesus Christ, the creator created the world and holds it together that that though we turned from his perfect plan for our life he still is supreme and preeminent even over our fall breaking the power of sin disease and death over us he is preeminent over redemption reconciling all things uh, and again i'm tempted to just think about things on earth but including satan's fall including all those things that happen in in the spiritual realms he's preeminent over those and then and then just when you think he's going to go to restoration he goes instead to the instrument of restoration he says and and jesus is preeminent over the church over the body of christ we continue our journey um, seeking a new lead pastor over and over again. We have, we have reminded ourselves, we've got a lead pastor. His name is Jesus, right? And so, so um, God has got this. And it will be so worth the wait to see who Jesus brings. So um, the Apostle Paul reminds us that that he is also supreme, preeminent, meaning working beforehand in the meantime and even after we're aware, through his church, the body of Christ. That's us. That's the people in this room, the people watching on online, the, the church of Jesus Christ and its myriad expressions all over the world. Jesus Christ is preeminent over those things. So let me invite the worship team to come up and then kind of turn now back to my first question. Okay, do you remember the first question? How do you know Jesus? Right? 
I've shared with you before that those first couple years of my journey with Jesus, I only knew him as Savior. I was afraid for my eternity. And I was so grateful. I don't want to diminish that at all. That is real. That is who Jesus is. But, but very soon in my Christian walk, I, I realized that it was not just about saving me. It was about using me as a living part of his creation, about his lordship over me as well. So I want to encourage you, think very carefully about yourself, would you? Especially as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord. Think very carefully about yourself and the way that you reveal yourself to others. Listen to the Apostle Paul describing now, not Jesus, but us. He says, and you who once, do not lose sight of that word, who once, who before were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, right? You who were once apart and far from God, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death through what we celebrate here at the Lord's table, right? He's reconciled you in order to present you now not hostile, not alienated, not evil, but holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Wow. Wow. Think very carefully about yourself and the way you reveal yourself. Paul says something that's challenging. Many of you are going to wrestle with this in the next hour, but he says, um, you were once hostile, but now you've been reconciled if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. I think my earliest version of the Bible I studied said steadfast and immovable, right? Wow, not shifting from the perfect performance of your faith, right? From doing all the right things, all the right times, right? Right? No, no. Not moving, steadfast and immovable in your hope. In your hope in what Christ has done. Wow. Wow. Think very carefully about yourself and the way you reveal yourself to others. But think, think also carefully, would you, about Jesus today and the way that you reveal Jesus to others. Because it might surprise you. It won't, because of your, it won't be because of your perfect performance, right? No, it'll be because you recognize in your imperfection that there is a Savior, there is a Creator who before the foundation of the world made a way for you to flourish. He made a way for you to live. It's not about you, right? It's about Jesus and what Jesus can do through you. Pray with me, would you? Oh God, as we prepare to come to the table, thank you that you have made a way. We do not come 
uh, God, as people who have mastered our sin, who have overcome by our own strength or our own righteousness uh, the brokenness of the path. No, we're so grateful, God, that you give us strength to partner with you in those things. But our trust, our complete dependence is upon what you did, Jesus, on the cross. As we've learned today, what you did while we were falling far from you, what you did before the foundation of the world. So, God, today we remember Jesus. We remember what you did. Spiritually, God, we join those who sat at table with him. And we take this simple bread and we ask you to make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. A very real spiritual presence of Jesus that will strengthen us physically, yes. But far more than that, emotionally and spiritually. So that we might honor Jesus with our life. Take this simple juice, would you, God? And make it the cleansing blood of Jesus. Even as by faith we drink it, God, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that when people see us, they will see Jesus. And then God, strengthen us by your grace, would you? To go back out into the into the world, into the real place of ministry, God. To represent Jesus in such a way that people who see us would see him. Now we love you, God. We thank you for this precious gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Now would you just prepare your hearts as we get ready to come to the table of the Lord.